Greetings, denizens of Manhattan Jazz Clubs. Thanks for listening to Shadows and Pinstripes. Today's episode is, at long last, Sweet Smell of Success. All right, we all knew this day would come. When I started this podcast, I knew that eventually I would find occasion and reason to talk about my favorite film noir. And I don't know if I can 100% say this is my favorite, but it is one of the two or three favorites that always comes to my mind when people... In fact, this is the film that jumps into my brain any time someone asks, what's your favorite film noir? While it could possibly fall maybe to number two or three i don't think so i don't think so i first think of sweet smell of success anytime i am asked that question or anytime i hear that somebody has written an article about their favorite film noirs or made a list or anything like that for me the film that immediately flashes to mind is sweet smell of success and what's interesting is that this came really at the tail end of the film noir movement. Eddie Muller mentions when he showed it on on Noir Alley that there are arguments against its inclusion in the film noir genre. I find that crazy, but I guess I can understand it. He mentions how some have made that argument based on the fact that there's no murder committed, there's very little crime committed, there's no femme fatale, and... I guess those are those are reasonable arguments to be made. However, you watch this film and it just oozes noir. It oozes just slime, honestly. This was the film that made me a gigantic fan of Burt Lancaster. He's still probably my favorite, probably my favorite act- actor. It's tough. I mean, there, there, there are some great ones. And he's... It's tough. It's tough for me to say any of this because there are other great films out there, but I'm just saying this is the one that comes to mind anytime. Anytime someone asks, where do I start? And I don't even think you start here. You know, when someone asks, well, how do I get into film noir? I don't even really think you start here. I think you warm up with some of the classics and then eventually reward yourself by watching this this movie. Uh, But I'm just happy that it's time. It's time to talk about it. And the reason I'm doing it is because I have been forced out of my home. I live in the New Orleans area. Uh, not in New Orleans, but um, in that area. And we had to evacuate for Hurricane Ida, uh, along with many other many others. And so, uh, good thing we did, because it was pretty bad, particularly in our area outside of New Orleans. We were hit much harder than the city of New Orleans was. So when this episode finally airs, it will have been months, I'm sure, since Hurricane Ida, and perhaps everything will be back to normal. That would be nice. But we were given a time frame yesterday, and uh, the area that I live in, we were told that it would be 28 more days before they were able to restore power. The New Orleans area, by contrast, is actually supposed to receive their power back in five days, five or six days. Those are estimates, but uh, at the time of this recording, that's... That's how it stands. So I am displaced, as they say, 
and I don't have access to my full library. I don't have access to my recording studio, which is a room in my house with a microphone and things look pretty, sound pretty good from it. Um, but that's okay. I'm recording on the road and when I was leaving the house, I grabbed a few Blu-rays off the shelf, things that I wanted to make sure that I, I had with me. I brought a, a Blu-ray player. Actually, that's not true. I didn't bring one. I bought one while I was out because I, I planned to do that all along. I wanted to, to get another Blu-ray player for, for one end of my house. And so that was the plan all along, and I bought one. And so one of the films that I grabbed was Sweet Smell of Success. I knew that while I was on the road or while I was waiting out this thing, I, would, uh, I was going to want to watch it. And so that is why I'm finally going to record about this. And I've been talking about it since since the beginning, one of the first couple of episodes that I recorded, I talked about my favorite film noirs, and I haven't gone back to listen to that episode, but I know at the time I mentioned that Sweet Smell of Success is one of my favorites, if not my favorite. I just, I don't know why I'm so hesitant to say it is my one favorite. I don't like doing it that way. But if I had to be honest, and there was only one movie I could watch, it would probably be this one, or should I say the other one, or should I bait you into going back to, to listening to that episode where I listed my, my top two. I don't know. guess I'll go ahead and spoil it. The other one that I generally always think of, and it's a little bit more popular and it was a bit more of a success, was Double Indemnity. And so those are, those are the two that generally come to mind when I think, what could I watch at any point, anytime, and enjoy it? And there are so many film noirs that, that are like that. But... These two in particular are just the two that connected with me in such a real way. And there are others, but the, these two, I just, I just feel like at any point, put them on and I'm going to enjoy every scene. And uh, they're just two of the movies that blew me away. Sweet Smell of Success came out in the late 50s, I believe nine, 1957. It may have been 56. No, it was 57. Yep, I'm looking at it right here. And of course, I sprung for the Criterion Collection version of the Blu-ray. It is a great package. It's the only Criterion Collection that I have that doesn't come with that proprietary clear case. It actually came with a cardboard box, very thick um, outer sleeve and uh, with an insert. And it has a very, very in-depth booklet inside of it that's worth the read. So I will do, as is my custom, I will read the uh, Blu-ray special edition features that are included in this Criterion Blu-ray. It says, exclusive new digital restoration from the original 35mm camera negative with uncompressed monoro soundtrack. They pretty much write that on every every one of the uh, Criterion Blu-rays. Some of them say 2K, some of them say 4K. But anyway, the, the, the film looks beautiful. I rewatched it the other night. Um, I was completely enraptured by it. Um, it, it, it looks gorgeous. Um, it couldn't possibly be, I mean, it looks like it was filmed yesterday. I mean, it just looks like they filmed it yesterday. It's, is complete, completely crisp, beautiful. It's the smoothest, uh, it's just the smoothest camera work. Um, obviously the, the, the film is very, is very, um, highly stylized anybody who's ever seen it, but I mean, just, it looks gorgeous. It looks like it was, it was filmed with the most modern, um, I mean, the restoration is, is immaculate. We'll just put it that way. Okay, continuing with these special, special features. 
uh, new audio commentary featuring film scholar James Naremore. It's N-A-R-E-M-O-R-E. Um, some of these names I pronounce wrong, and then I go back, and I once I've become a little more comfortable with them, I, I realize later on that I've said the name wrong or uh, conflated two names. I did that a couple of times. I think uh, James Orsini and Alan Silver. I think I called him James Silver or Alan. I think Alan Orsini. That's what I said. I, I, I called him Alan Orsini in one of these episodes. I don't know which one. I just remember saying it and then I didn't remember what episode it was. And so sometime I'll listen to it and maybe I'll edit that part out, <laughs> try to fix it. But I do that sometimes. So uh, for all I know, this this guy may be pronounced James Nare Moray. But anyway, James Naremore is what it looks like. Um, I, I haven't watched it with the commentary. This this film would be hard to watch with the commentary just because it's it, the dialogue is so rapid fire and, and it's just so smooth and the, and the jazz score is so good. But maybe eventually I'll do that. Uh, it has a, a featurette, I, I suppose. It's called McKendrick, The Man Who Walked Away, a 1986 documentary featuring interviews with director Alex, uh, Alexander McKendrick, actor Burt Lancaster, producer James Hill, and others. I watched a little bit of that. It's, it's long. It's a full documentary. Uh, another documentary, James Wong Howe, cinematographer. This is a 1973 documentary about the Oscar-winning director of photography featuring lighting tutorials with Howe. Um, and if you watch this movie, you'll want to watch that because it's, it's incredible. This, the, the, the shots of the city, well, I won't get into all that, but he's, he's fantastic. Uh, a new video interview with film critic and historian Neil Gabler. Uh, about legendary columnist Walter Winchell, inspiration for the character J.J. Hunsucker. A new video interview with filmmaker James Mangold about McKendrick, his instructor and mentor. Original theatrical trailer, plus a booklet featuring an essay by critic Gary Giddens. Notes about the film and two short stories, introducing its characters by screenwriter Ernest Lehman. And an excerpt about Clifford Odets from McKendrick's book on filmmaking, introduced by the film's, uh, the film's editor, Paul Cronin. Okay, there's this thing is chock full. Absolutely chock full with special features. If you love this movie and I love this movie, you you can get lost in these things. You you can get lost in them. Now, I will say that both of those documentaries, I didn't finish them. I, I started them and, and I and I'll, I'll maybe go back to them. Uh, but they don't focus specifically on Sweet Smell of Success. And I kind of was in the mood to to read and hear about Sweet Smell of Success, not necessarily about individuals involved. Um, and so those, both of those documentaries, they focus on individuals who were involved, you know, one of them, uh, for McKendrick and one of them for James Wong Howe, but they, they're not necessarily dialed in on their experiences with this film. Obviously those are probably covered in the documentaries, but it's more just films about their careers. All right. If I'm not careful, I could go on and on about this movie, but I'm, I'm going to try not to. I feel sort of like this this film should be experienced going in blind. And so I, I will just tell you a few things that I know about it. Things that you can probably find out by by reading Eddie Muller's book. Uh, I, w- I will say this, um, his his book, Dark City, which is fantastic. And uh, and I got the, the hardback version of it a few months back, uh, updated, and it's it's well worth it. I remember reading the insert about Sweet Smell of Success, or not the insert, but the, the portion about Sweet Smell of Success. And then um, I looked up online because I remembered watching the movie when it came on Noir Alley, but I wanted to remind myself what he said about it. And so I went on YouTube and I looked up the clips, the intro and the outro that Eddie Muller did. 
whenever the whenever the film came on Noir Alley. And so, um, which funny, if you look up the old clips, uh, Eddie Mole used to say noir, like noir, you know, like that, that's the way we sort of pronounce Renoir and, uh, you know, that, that word, O-I-R, usually it would be pronounced like oi, memoir, film noir, you know, the artist Renoir. And uh, in recent, as the show has gone on, he says it more the way I, I typically say it, which is noir, I pronounce the R, and uh, it, it's interesting. I don't, that was a rabbit trail. I don't think he does that on the uh, Sweet Smell of Success episode, but I did watch some of the, <laughs> some of the original, some of the older films that he, he introduced, and uh, it was funny that he pronounced it differently. He would say the wah, film noir, like N-W-A, noir. And so, um, but anyway, I did watch his, uh, his intro and his outro, and it's interesting. It's almost word for word. It's almost verbatim what he has written in his book about uh, Sweet Smell of Success. So uh, that's interesting. Um, you, if, you, if you can't find his intro or his outro and you have the book, you can pretty much find all of it written there like, like a full, you know, the same script of what he reads um, for the show. And so, uh, or vice versa. If you don't have the book and you can look up the uh, YouTube clip, you'll see what he wrote about it. So um, duplication of, of information there, but it's thorough. So um, anyway, Sweet Smell of Success is, um, it was a, uh, a film that Burt Lancaster, um, his, his company, he, he was the production, he, he was going to be the producer on this thing along with, uh, um, with two others that had, they had filmed their own production company. And they hired Alexander McKendrick, the director, Burt Lancaster did, because he thought, he thought McKendrick would be a pushover. He would be somebody that, you know, Lancaster could, could force to do what he wanted. And it didn't work out that way. They, he, Lancaster, uh, McKendrick didn't back down. Um, and he was a perfectionist who, who required lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of shots and drove everybody crazy on set, uh, particularly Burt Lancaster. And looking at, Burt Lancaster, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to piss him off. You know, I don't want to get punched by that guy. <laughs> and so, um, there it's, it's well documented that on, on the set, things were very tense and very, I mean, it was, it was hostile. <laughs> and, um, and with McKendrick, and I think McKendrick was the, was the perfect, I mean, was the absolute perfect choice to direct this film, um, along with the, uh, cinematographer, uh, James Wong Howe. And so um, without that cinematography, the film would not be what it is. And without uh, McKendrick being such a uh, perfectionist, the film wouldn't be what it is. And honestly, without Burt Lancaster playing uh, this vile, vile creature, J.J. Hunsecker, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't have been. And and he almost didn't he almost didn't play the play the role. I mean, he almost they almost had brought in. Um, I forget who they were looking at bringing in for the uh, for the role, but uh, but he decided to play it himself, and uh, I'm glad he did <laughs> uh, because he kills it. And uh, I've intentionally saved the uh, the best thing about the film for um, I haven't even mentioned it yet is how incredible the role of um, Sidney Falco uh, is is played by by Tony Curtis. He kills it. Tony Curtis absolutely kills it. Um, you know, JJ, not JJ, but, um, um, JJ Hunsecker. <laughs> uh, I, speaking of that, when I first watched the movie, JJ Hunsecker was my favorite character. I mean, he's vile. He's, he's, he's absolutely vile, irredeemable. He does nothing good this entire, this entire movie other than try to dominate, threaten, destroy, lie, 
destroy everybody. Um, but I thought his was the role that, um, that stole the show. And then after I watched it and in subsequent viewings, uh, I, I'm convinced that Tony Curtis is, is actually the best, the best role in this, in the show. He's, he's fantastic. He is, it's a tour de force for Tony Court, for Tony Curtis's character, um, Sidney Falco. I mean, he, he's also the, if there's any, (laughs) I don't want to say he's anything less than vile, just like, uh, just like Lancaster, he is. Some of the stuff he does is even worse than Lancaster because he's on, he's on screen for every bit of the uh, of the. I mean, he's he's in every scene. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's in he's he's in every single scene. I think I don't I don't know if there is a scene without him. Maybe maybe real quick where uh, where others are talking and he's not quite there yet, but he is there, and it just and so with that much screen time of course in a in a film like this he's going to he's going to do some vile things and my goodness does he do some vile things um however just before just before it gets to the point where you would just you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to follow them down that path anymore he and Burt Lancaster's character JJ Hunsecker veer off Right. Whereas, whereas Hunsecker has zero scruples, and nothing exists other than to dominate and to destroy and to get his own way. Um, Sidney Falco, at the very at the very least, demonstrates a stopping point where I can't possibly do this, and there there are things that can't that that we can't do. He doesn't. He's not a he's not a shining beacon of morality, but there is a point where he says. This can't. We can't do this. This is too much. This is too far, and um, and that's all I'll really say about it. Because on the off chance that anybody who's listening to this has not seen this film, you need to watch this film, and you don't need to know anything about it. I, I won't even tell you what the mission is that they're on, who they're trying to destroy. I, all I can tell you is that the the dialogue is just back and forth. It it almost it's it's almost to me written like a stage play. Um, it is. It is fascinating. It's it's highly highly entertaining. It's so rewatchable. I could watch it anytime. The uh, the jazz score, the the jazz music in this film that, that plays in the background, it sets it apart from so many others. It is so so incredible. It's uh, it it changes the tone of everything. I imagine if they had just done a, a standard typical, uh, you know, smooth score to it, or or whatever whatever typical film noir store uh, score it just wouldn't have the same punch and um and the performances are fantastic and then the cinematography the cinematography is so beautiful it is so incredible i mean the, just the uh, it, it's all either rainy new york or uh you know or wet new york or new york at night it's it's uh it's it's just there, there's nothing like it i don't know if i've ever seen a, a film that that shows the nightlife quite like that and um it's brilliant it's brilliant the dialogue there there's there's some zingers in in the in the film i mean there's some great you know jj hunsecker what does he say he says uh uh, i don't enjoy uh shooting mosquitoes with an elephant gun you know (laughs) something like that uh you know uh he just there's some great great dialogue in the movie you know he walks out and he's he's just this vile creature and he looks he looks out at the city and he says something like uh 
uh, I love this filthy city <laughs> or something like that, or this dirty city or something like that. Um, it is so watchable. I can't tell you the, I can't tell you the, the plot. You, you can't know the plot. You have to go in, um, and know also that the plot doesn't necessarily matter as much as this character study in, in, in vile people. Um, and how far will somebody go to obtain, uh, like the title says, success. And I just, I feel like I could sit and talk about this movie for, I could discuss it with people for a long time. And uh, I don't want this thing to carry, carry on and go on and on so long. Um, but this is, there, there's a reason for it. This is my favorite. Um, I mean, I'll say it. It's, 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 it's one of my favorite two film noirs. And, um, and it's because all of these pieces came together just perfectly. You know, that hostility, I think Eddie Muller mentioned it in, in his, and in, in when he talked about it, it, was all of that hostility offset, all of that animosity, somehow it channels itself and it, and, and it just works perfectly on camera. It, uh, it, 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 it contributed to just a perfect landing. They stuck the landing. Uh, of course, the film didn't make any money. They, they lost, you know, it was, it was a bomb. People didn't like it at the time which blows my mind. Um, but of course that's the way it goes. I mean, films do that sometimes in their day, they just, they, they aren't appreciated. People don't show up, whether it's marketing or whatever, they don't, uh, they don't make, they don't make money. And so, uh, the, the film, the film was a bomb, a box office bomb. And, uh, and yet here we are, what was it? 1957. So 60, 60 plus years later, we're uh, we're still watching it. Sixty four years later, we're, we're I'm, I'm talking about it on a on a podcast and uh, and do yourself a favor and go watch this movie. In fact, or, order the Criterion version on Blu-ray and watch it that way. Don't stream it, but you know what? Stream it if you have to. But if you can, order this thing. It's probably twenty two, twenty three dollars, twenty five dollars, whatever, and you won't regret it for a second. It'll be well worth the uh, the money. And, um, you'll, you'll absolutely, you'll absolutely enjoy this film. And if you're not a Lancaster fan, if you're not a Tony Curtis fan, um, going in, you certainly will be, uh, after you're done watching this film. It's fantastic. The uh, jazz is excellent. The characters are excellent. The story is, the characters are vile. I mean, just, they're vile. There's nothing redeemable about either one of them. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps maybe Tony Curtis's character, Sidney Falco, maybe, 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 maybe. But uh, it just looks so. It looks more noir than I think any film I've ever seen because of the sharp, the, the the darkness with the the city lights, or on the few daytime film, uh, the few daytime shots. It's just rainy streets, you know, and uh, it just it just oozes film noir. So I will, I guess, go ahead and stop there. Uh, I, I just want to talk about quotes and things and characters. But do yourself a favor and just go watch this movie. And, and I say it always. I always say to turn your phone off, right? I always say that, and I mean it. But for this film in particular, <laughs> please don't be distracted. Please do not allow anybody to distract you. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't pause it. Don't, I mean, do what you got to do. But set yourself up first. Get your popcorn. Get your, get your lights turned off. You know, get your sound right and everything. And please, while you're watching this film, turn your phone off. Mm-hmm.